wanted to create a space, a small space, a, a space within that area so that people would feel safe and create that green space where someone, you could come at any time, you drive by there or anything. Jesse's murals are great and they mark a lot of spaces in San Antonio and there are a lot of how people living in San Antonio make sense of that place. As a leader, there's nobody in front of him. To be this influencer that at some level is not necessarily known for influences outside of the arts, but most definitely has shaped an entire vantage point from which to appreciate the Mexican-American. Hello, I'm George Apodaca, digital archivist and asset manager here at the Archives of American Art. And I'm Jess Perkis, digital initiatives archivist, and welcome to Articulated. This podcast receives support from the Alice L. Walton Foundation. Communal connection and expression form the heart of public art. These works live in our shared spaces and shape our built environments, while also coming to stand as symbols for our neighborhoods, cities, and collective vitality. Across San Antonio, Texas, you'll find nearly a dozen murals by Juan Jesse Trevino, an artist who has built a career enriching his city with works that combine his personal experiences with his visions for a brighter future. In this episode, we will trace the arc of Trevino's life and career, especially how he has served his community and broadened the horizons of San Antonio. Trevino was born in Monterrey, Mexico in 1946 to a large family that eventually settled on the west side of San Antonio. In his 2004 Oral History with Carrie Cordoba, Trevino recounts his early involvement with the arts and the encouragement that he received from his teachers. You know, I was born, you wouldn't believe it, in a little shack in Monterrey, in Mexico. And we, we had a little house. It had a dirt floor, just like in the movies, you know, dirt floor. And I was born on Christmas Eve, 1946. I have 12 brothers, well, brothers four, nine brothers and, and three sisters. And my father had a better opportunity over here. So we came and we settled here in the west side of San Antonio. And we lived in a couple of little houses. And I, re I remember li living by the creek for a couple of years there. And then we moved to another house. Eventually, we ended up on Monterey Street there on, on the west side. And, you know, as a little boy, I remember I was going to Crockett Elementary School. You got to remember, I was already drawing and drawing on the walls and stuff there at the house. And I remember my mom told me, you can't do that, you know, because uh, this house doesn't belong to us, you know. And you're, okay, so I didn't do it. But, you know, the thing about it is that, you know, in school, I, I guess... The, some of my teachers you know, recognized that I could draw, right? but I was real competitive. I, you know, I, 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 I liked the challenge, and I remember entering that contest and feeling positive that I was going to win. Or and I did win. I won a little uh, wildlife drawing contest, and I remember doing little, two little doves on a little manila paper, and it looked like professional artists had sketched that. How did you even know about this contest well, the, the, at the Winnie Museum? Well, you see, that that's like the whole thing. It, you know, there were probably, I can't remember the, the teacher, but there was, there in, in the first grade, I remember that the teachers could see, and it's one of them was aware of that contest. And that's how I found out. The teacher introduced me to that contest and said, look, there's a contest over there. Would you like to enter it? 
And wow, that was right there and then. I, you know, I figured it must be pretty good to, to, to the contest. And, and, and that's what did it. And, and I realized that there were a lot of art contests, not just in the, here, locally, all over the country. And I remember entering, entering like safety contests, uh, safety poster contests. They all, they all had to do with art and winning so many. I got away with, you know, not taking some of the classes and things that I needed to because I was working on art projects that my teachers were wanted me to work on. I remember in middle school working with my teacher on, 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 a, on a mural, you know, that we did. Uh, you know, I felt like I was, I don't know, getting away with it. And at the same time, I was, I was really cheating myself because perhaps I was learning the things that I are missing out on some of the things that other kids were learning because I was doing this, you know. I mean, I don't regret that, but I, that's the way it was. I, I spent a lot more time with my art, yeah. As a teenager, Trevino won a scholarship that allowed him to study at the Art Students League in New York City. He arrived during the 1960s as New York was coming into its own as a global art leader and as abstract expressionism soared to new heights. Trevino describes finding his stride in a new environment. So when I was in high school, I went, but I went a lot of contests, but I won two scholarships. And I went one to the Chicago Art Institute, and I went one to the Art Students League in New York. And, and never been in on a play, never been. And for, I was just lucky that my brother was, his sister, his sister-in-law lived in Brooklyn. So he, he called her up and said, hey, my brother won a scholarship, can he stay with you all for And so I went, to, never been on a plane, and went to Brooklyn and all that. And for the first couple of months, I went, you know, I would go to school and on the train to uh, Manhattan and go to the school. And real soon, uh, I, I got a little job in, at, in the village, a little place with, they had about 10 artists with little easels doing, sketching people. <laughs> yeah, I was making, a little, I didn't have any money, so I was making a little bit of money. And I, and I opened a little savings account. And I remember, uh, I was, I was just, so, I loved it, you know, because, it was the kind of uh, institution that I like to go to. It's an art academy, sort of, you know. That's an old institution has been there. A lot of famous artists have been there. I got to meet, I don't know, it was, it was in 1966. Salvador Dali went to the school. It, I, I know it was all staged and everything, but, you know, he got there in a taxi. He gets off, taxi. Gets off and goes right into the school. He goes into that administrative building, and there's a lady who's the director's in charge there has this plaster head or art or whatever on her desk. And he, he gets it, he goes in there with his cape and everything, he takes it and everybody follows him. He goes out to the, to the outside of the steps and he gets it, he says, this is what I think about art. And he throws that on the ground and breaks it. And he takes, gets in the taxi and leaves. And <laughs> I mean, it's really weird, but I mean, you know, he used to do a lot of things. And at the time, I didn't know who he was, you know? But I did, he was a famous artist, you know? I was 18 years old. William Franklin Draper was one of the most influential teachers Trevino had in New York. Draper began his career in the arts as an official war artist in the U.S. Navy during World War II, where he made paintings that conveyed the horrors and heroism of combat. After his return to the U.S., he became a sought-after portraitist in New York City, and he also taught at the Art Students League. Trevino elaborated on their dynamic and the moment he was drafted for the Vietnam War. When I got to, to the Art Students League, I took several courses, but I ran across someone that, that I haven't talked to him lately, but I've, I've seen a little bit in some of the magazines, it says William F. Draper. 
And William F. Draper is probably known more for, for his, he's a combat artist, right? He's got videos in the Pentagon, and he's got a lot of stuff. But I was so impressed because in, at, the, at the school, they had a couple of show windows that faced the street there. The, they put some of the uh, instructor's uh, paintings there. And uh, I was so impressed with his portraits. I remember that was just a way of style of painting. It's very spontaneous. He he, he, he paints from life, you know, and uh, he travels to, to different places. And he's painted so many important people. Carl Sandburg does the famous painting of John F. Kennedy on the rocking chair. It's a piece like that. And so, you know, to me, I mean, that's, he was, he's been probably the one that, when it comes to portraits, he's a master at it. He's, at, you know, uh, so I, that was probably the most one. I remember that he had asked me, if, so I, I received my letter, of, uh, my draft notice, or no, that was letter of induction. And I went there to, when I was here in San Antonio, I remember taking the physical and everything, and I, I, know, I had flat feet or something, or a sleepwalk or something. So they yeah. take me, I was classified 1Y. And when I moved to, to New York, uh, I, you know, I had to retake that physical. And, I, and in, the, in Brooklyn, they just say, okay, you're all right. They don't even check you. They just <laughs> take you right through there. It was just like cattle, you know. And so you're, you're ready to go, you know. So I got that letter, that draft notice when I was there in New York. Uh, right after my first year there at the Arsenal's League, and I remember Mr. Draper. You know, he was trying to also he, he couldn't believe that I was being drafted and everything. Uh, and I remember that he he was uh, recommended to go to Paris because they had like a an exchange uh, program. And he said, you know, you can the students stay anyway. And I got my notice. I had to come back to San Antonio just enough time to, to see my mom, and then I was going to stay at the, at the place over there with my family and then go get into the training for Vietnam, the jungle training. During combat in 1967, Trevino suffered grave injuries from shrapnel and gunfire, a shattering experience that solidified his commitment to making the art that mattered to him. Well, this explosion blew me, I would say, probably about 50, 50 feet, like, just, it landed in the mud. I was face down in the in the mud. I started thinking about everything I did, you know. And I didn't want to die because I felt like I was still a kid. I was young, but then again, I've been painting since I was a little boy, you know. So I feel like man, I did a lot. I got I got all the way to uh, New York, and I created all these paintings. I was a pretty good artist, and, and I could tell that with my hand, I just knew it was gone as far as my not my hand, but my art because. You know, I couldn't do anything. It was just, I could feel it. But I remember that I started thinking, and, and it was so different because up to New York, my paintings, the subject matter, and I painted all kinds of different things. But at that point, I thought, and I guess that's my family, you know, my, my mom and, and my neighborhood and everything that, 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 was, that I cherished, I guess, you know, my, my brothers and my friends and... And I, that for that moment there, when I was thinking, you always think, well, what, what could I do? And and then what if I, what, what if I could get another chance? What, what, or what is it? Right there at that moment, I was running out of time. I needed to uh, get things together in my head, what I wanted to do. And I started thinking, 
uh, the images that I would that I should paint, and there, there were those images of those paintings that I have done that you see, you know, is is of 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 that experience, you know, like some kind of corny reawakening. But when when I, you know that what what I woke up to were were things that were were meant something to me, and if I, there was some type of an artist that. I could do those things. I could paint and learning from William F. Draper. I could take a guy that works at Kelly Field, make him proud of of, of working with other people behind a desk and all of being who he is and all of that, and 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 do it in a very beautiful way. Major turning point in Trevino's career was the realization of his first mural, Mi Vida, which he painted during 1971-72 in his bedroom after boarding up the windows. After his return from Vietnam, he underwent a series of surgeries to repair lasting damage from his war injuries, but some damage was irreversible, and at the end of 1970, doctors amputated his right hand, his painting hand. Though he had worked to develop facility with his left hand during his rehabilitation period, Mi Vida was the inflection point for his artistic trajectory. Discrete, realistic images sit atop a flat, dark background. Pan dulce with coffee, cigarettes, beer, a pill, a silver bracelet with turquoise, a Ford Mustang, a purple heart medal, a woman's face and hair, a prosthetic book, and a gray soldier surrounded by a white smudge. This amalgamation of everyday effects and war trauma marked both Trevino's pivot to ambitious large-scale works as well as his resolution to grow as an artist. I, I wanted to put things that up to that point were part of my vida, my life. And I remember looking at the wall and I would see her face. First of all, I like to paint things big. I don't, you know, one of the things, because I think it's a very important uh, fact, when, when I was a little boy, my mom, my dad, with my family, we'd go to, back to Monterrey once in a while to visit. And I remember I, I must have been, I would say, 10 years old. I remember walking downtown through Monterrey and, and there were a couple of places where there were artists that would paint these huge, I, I realized what they were, they're from the ground up, they're panels, big panels. I guess they were billboards, big billboards, but they were painted right here, they were painted. It was so incredible to see an eye this big that was painted or a face. And I'm talking about just painted, now they do everything with a computer. I'm talking about hand painted, and I would stand there and look at it. I, I couldn't, the cigarette billboards and everything, the faces, and, they, how they could do that it was so incredible. They were really artists that, that were doing that kind of stuff, but they were the ones that did the real nice bullfighters. I was so impressed with that. I thought, I guess that had always stayed with me. Well, it was, it was about where I was at that time. Anyway, you know, I, and I'm looking at what, what do I want to say and all that. So first, I would put her, I think it was very dominant, just as a figure, the face in the back. And then, he, my hand, and I'm, okay, and this purple heart, you know. So I thought, how am I going to put, and, and again, everything, I guess I've learned very honest about composition, you know, about how important it is and where to put it and all that. And, uh, you know, the idea of, of a hand, this is what replaced my hand, 
This is what you get. Purple Heart, you get when you're wounded. Painkillers that they gave me for many, many years that probably hurt me more than helped me, you know? And, and the cigarettes that I smoked for many, many years too that were part of my life. Pan de dulce with a cup of coffee. My first car. And, and then over here I'm standing as a soldier. Then there's a beer, I think. Yeah, it's, it's really an amazing um, painting. Did, what, what did it mean to you to receive that Purple Heart? Well, I didn't like it, you know? I, did, I didn't like the fact that it's like something that, that you're awarded, but I had to lose this. I had to lose my hand in order to get this, you know? The inclusion of consumer goods in flat, realist renderings speaks to Trevino's interest in the ascent of pop art, and his collage-like composition on a black-brown background resonates with the work of his teacher at UT San Antonio, Mel Casas. Casas was part of a constellation of outspoken advocates for Chicano artists in the 1970s in San Antonio, including Tomás Ibarra Frausto, an art historian who boosted Chicano art across the nation. In his 2014 oral history with Gilberto Cárdenas, Ibarra Frausto describes the particularly vital moment for the visual arts of the United States that arose out of San Antonio. So I began feeling that coming to San Antonio, it was an epiphany that, that turned out to be a marvelous example of how rich uh, all, our, all our, our communities are with all kinds of underground ideas and visual and historic and cultural notions that the artists, the Chicano artists were incorporating into their work. Uh, of course, San Antonio not only was a, a space where some of the earliest uh, Chicano art, like the Corsafos group with Mel Casas and many of the other artists of his generation created, and it was where uh, in Tejas, you know, some of the early Chicano exhibitions like Dale Gas and uh, Capirotada, and of course, some of the senior artists uh, were still around, Cathy uh, Vargas and a lot of the muralists, the first, the first branch of muralists, they were still here and they were still creating. El Rendon, the photographer, Cathy Vargas, the photographer, they remembered when they had a, an important group a photography called Ladrones de la Luz. Ladrones de la Luz had not only uh, a whole series of photographers that went on then to become significant photographers all over. They had a series of documentary photographers. All these artists, uh, many, many who, whose names escaped me, people like uh, Cesar Martinez and Jesse Trevino, the, all of these artists were creating a lot of work based on all this the things that surrounded them. But not only the visual artists, San Antonio was also the cradle of a really significant literary uh, renaissance. Some of the earliest uh, Chicano uh, newspapers and uh, journals in San Antonio were created and, and, and very significant poetry, and particularly 
I think women poets like uh, Carmen Tafoya, but there was a whole cadre of, of very important women uh, poets and writers that created, you know, this renaissance. And this, of course, was also a place where a lot of the, of the cantos, the first uh, sort of examples of, of massive literary gatherings, Canto al Pueblo was in San Antonio. Amid San Antonio's teeming cultural scene, Trevino began his work in murals large public installations that he realized in concert with local leaders and with an eye to the future of the city. One of his most striking signature works is La Veladora of Our Lady of Guadalupe, a massive mosaic ceramic tile work across the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center on the west side of the city. We spoke with Josh T. Franco, the Archives National Collector, about his experience living and working in San Antonio before he joined the Archives. Jesse's really responsible for like a lot of the built environment that you just exist in. So, and you know, like the Veladora was always a landmark for me, but of course not just me. It was a place, you know, to meet. The plaza that's just behind the, the Veladora is where, you know, Obama came in that, so it would have been like 2007, eight campaigning. And I remember that's the plaza we all went to, to shake his hand. Yeah, and the, you know, the, the candle, the huge tiled cut, tiled mural is like very burned into my head as a landmark, you know, visually and physically. You know, he's like Jesse Trevino will always be known as one of those people who made San Antonio look like what it does and um, given it it's some of its icons. Jesse's murals are great and they mark a lot of spaces in San Antonio and there are a lot of how people living in San Antonio make sense of that place. But the Villa Dora is amazing. Like I just, you know, I don't know if you've been to San Antonio the last side ever, but it's an amazing thing. Like there's kind of an Oldenburgian thing about it. That candle is like in everybody's house and you buy it at the grocery store, which would be H-E-B if you're in San Antonio or, you know, at the Botanica. It's just a very ubiquitous object. Uh, but here it is like over at least over two stories tall, maybe a little taller and made out of cut tile and an actual three-dimensional shape. You know, it's an actual cylinder. It's not, that's where it differs from murals and that it's not on a flat surface. It, it's, it's an actual object, you know, in space, not a representation of a candle on a wall. Yeah, I just, it's just a beautiful object. It's, it's definitely an orientation device if you're on in that part of the West Side and it photographs really well, <laughs> you know? So I think it's just like this, I don't want to use the word masterwork. That seems like a, um, significant contribution to the culture. <laughs> Murals and public art installations can serve as beacons for communities. They're landmarks for major events and backgrounds for watershed civic moments. Here's how Trevino described the impetus to create the Veladora during his 2004 interview with Kerry Cordoba. I wanted to create a space, a small space, a, a space within that area so that people would feel safe and that they had a lot of respect for this image and that no one had done an image like this, like I was gonna do it because I was gonna do it like I had my painting three-dimensional okay. and I was gonna do it in tile and I was, and again, it was that symbol, that symbolism that seemed so important that if I could touch people that were there behind their, their, their doors that only came out in the daytime or something, if I could build this, and create that green space 
where someone you could come at any time you could you drive by there or anything but i was in washington i was really impressed with the vietnam wall and the significance and i i, I like the idea of the eternal flame something there that means something to well and then we needed that that sense of see you ask me i was religious but so a lot of the people in that area they are and like in their homes, they had the little veladoras and all that. That if we had something, you know, come on, we have mural like this mural downtown. All, uh, everything like that seems to happen over there. He goes on to detail the cultural significance he felt in the symbols that came together in the mural, from the vigil candle to the eagle devouring a snake on a cactus, emblems of the people, place, and personal history that Trevino honored. You know, but I think my mother was more religious. You know, there's a little, there's a little uh, church here. It's only a church. I guess it was Milagros. It's just a little church with miracles. I remember my mom, as when I was a little kid, we we went over there so that she was going to light a candle because my brother was in Korea. That's what my brother was in the Marines at that time. And wow, I, I thought this is serious. This is something very serious. And all the music and everything. It's like, she's going to go over here and light a candle and pray that my brother comes back. And we, we all knew what she was doing when she went through that and all that. So I, I always remember that, you know. I even go there once in a while <laughs> you know, myself, you know, see if it works. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, things like that, the religious aspect. So when I did these paintings, you know, how like with, with, with the crosses or even here, uh, the mural that's here at the Arena Lake, there's there's a, a like a rosary with it hanging like that with the cross and the different the It's got to be part of it. I think that was sort of the argument of when we did the the Villadona, that why are we going to do something like this on uh, that building, the theater, the Guadalupe Theater is uh, belongs to the to the city on public property, and as an artist again, I see this symbol more as a cultural icon. Because I know that you don't have to be religious or Catholic or anything, but that this is part of our culture. It's within, if you take this away completely, you don't see it. You know, I feel like you're taking something that's been with us forever. We spoke with Gabriel Velasquez, president and CEO of the Avenida Guadalupe Association and longtime friend and collaborator to Trevino, about how Trevino's work both preserves and invigorates tradition in San Antonio. There's a lot of wonderful places that, that get forgotten and get torn down or most definitely are not repurposed. Beginning with the Alameda, that, that building was given new life through a painting. When we think about the Santa Rosa and the spirit of healing, the same thing occurred. So there's a power that that Jesse injects into the city, right? Into the lifeblood of the city through what he cares about. That influence, I think it's kind of beyond, I want to say it's beyond art. It's Jesse. It's it's who he is and what he what he stands for. I would say that like with any other artist, it isn't the man equal to the art. It's more the the spirit of the man, the value of the man manifested in the art. They're different, but at some point, I think maybe the art is like a, uh, for Jesse, 
can be almost like a like a popcorn trail that as far as he's gone has helped him find his way back to to the values that were instilled in him so as a mexican american that would travel culturally into chicanismo he would have that popcorn trail that would travel him back to mexican americanism Public art's place in history and its relation to our rituals of memorial were also critical for Trevino, as he created a mural to honor veterans at San Antonio Public Library's Central Branch, which was designed by Ricardo Legorreta. In his oral history, he likens the process to building an altar. What was important about those times, there were several things, okay? Mm -hmm. And of course, the theaters and, and the river and the downtown, all that. but. What I was thinking is, what about all the people that lost their lives in the in World War II that were important too? And then I was thinking about Ricardo Legorreta, the the architect that he is, and all that about the the Mexican connection of this the the architecture of the mural. What I was thinking about the veterans, the people, and then I said, what about an altar, an altar, in in this uh, museum, this. I'm, I'm just looking at it without looking at, thinking about this. I'm thinking about, and I had already gotten the wall. It was on the lower level. Everything within this beautiful uh, architectural culture, there has to be a, there's a mural, and that that mural pays homage to to the veterans as veterans. And how am I going to do it? I, I'm going to do it like an altar. So that whole wall was an altar for me. National collector Josh T. Franco charted a few of the conceptual and formal roots of the altar. In Chicano art that proliferated in the latter half of the 20th century. So yeah, I mean we've seen altars, you know, in the second half of the 20th century, sort of infiltrate fine art spaces. You know, largely through the work of Amalia Mesa Baines, Pepon Osorio, Judy Baca, Rimer Cardillo, Angel Suarez Rosado. There's just a lot of artists who brought that very evolved, developed, long-held long practice art form uh, just into the new context that they were getting access to starting, you know, in the 60s. And on, it's just such a significant concept in Chicano art because it bridges the things we produce as artists, you know, when we think of ourselves in that way and are moving in art schools or museums and galleries, but also they're very much a domestic practice and something that's at home and something people are familiar with, much like the veladora. So I think Jesse's just, like so many Chicano artists successfully do, living in that space and really confusing productively that space between the private and the public. So this, you know, and here you see the altar really perform as a concept rather than a form, because he's still painting a, you know, a conventional mural on a wall, but for him to get there with this particular one honoring veterans, I assume because there's death involved and because it's about memorial that an altar makes a lot of sense as the conceptual form to hold in one's mind while painting.
In 2020, the archives interviewed Trevino again for our pandemic oral history project, which chronicled the art world's response to the then-emergent COVID-19 pandemic. Between his 2004 and 2020 interviews, a great deal happened for Trevino. He created one of the largest ceramic murals in the United States, the Spirit of Healing. He helped to bring a new Latino cultural arts center to San Antonio. And he was also featured in the exhibition Artists Respond, American Art and the Vietnam War at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Reflecting on the early crises of the pandemic and what he'd want future audiences to know, Trevino spoke again of the veladora and the role he sees for art in the community. So I created the Virgen de Guadalupe, the Virgin of Guadalupe, in the form of a candle, like the candles you see in the, in the glass jar, with, with that with that image and tile. And it was a, it was about a, a half a million dollar project. I, I helped raise money to to create it because that that candle in the, in the homes there when I was a little kid and grew up, it's called. Uh, Guadalupe community and there, there was a great space there where I wanted to create the sculpture because I, I felt that if people could that image was very powerful so if they could come and the symbolism of that candle and sort of to light up the, co the whole community not just one house or and so that people could start coming out to see that image and talk to each other and you know, be able to interact and tell stories of many, many years. It was a great community a hundred years ago and how, how, diff how different it was. So I wanted that to happen again, that we needed to, to instead of, you know, everybody getting locked up in their houses, that we would come out, they would come out and, 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 and interact. You know, about that, there's people from all over the world that go to that candle because there's nothing like it in the whole world. That a candle, the, the size of it and the way it's created, it's made out of concrete and, and glass block and ceramic tile, mosaic tile. It takes about three, four years to, to create those murals. You know? So those are the kind of projects I want them to last hundreds of years. But, and, and sometimes it takes other people that will help me to, to actually created to my, uh, usually students. The glazed ceramic tiles of Spirit of Healing and La Veladora hark back to the New Deal murals undertaken alongside the San Antonio Riverwalk in the 1940s, threading yet another strand of history through Trevino's work. For more on the lasting influences of the New Deal on American art, check out episodes one through four of our first season. Gabriel Velasquez, president and CEO of the Avenida Guadalupe Association, told us about the path Trevino has blazed and the substantial legacy he's built in San Antonio and beyond. San Antonio has a very rich history in its uh, Mexican culture. So as to say that even as far as the Ale Battle of the Alamo, right? San Antonio is always a Mexican city. Coming into, into time, let's say, we take the greatest generation, right? Which is a time that we're all very fond of, of a certain age, right? That can remember our grandparents, and the, the values of that Mexican-American uh, generation, or for, for, for us in San Antonio, right? It was Mexican-American. Jesse had one foot. He's, he, he's not unlike baby boomers, right? Uh, if one foot in the greatest generation, 
and then one foot in the baby boomer generation. It seems to me that Jesse has held on to much of the values of that earlier generation. But as things change, one touchstone that San Antonio has is Jesse Trevino. How influential is Jesse in terms of the direction that this city is going? Well, we can talk about the division and the economic separation of even just our downtown San Antonio, where much of the development went east and very little of it went west. Well, the Alameda Theater, the movement that Jesse has been such an important part of, he's, he's been an advocate for so many things, for the 1% public art that was included in city contracts to, we think about the Alameda Theater. The Alameda Theater, through its bumpy road, is just recently receiving the full funding that it's going to take to rehabilitate entirely the theater itself. You'll hear very little bit about how these influences move things and shape things and create equity. So to, to a large extent, Jesse's influence in San Antonio has been one of those things that get generational, right? That on the World War II side, was about self-sufficiency moving forward. I don't want to say pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, but I would definitely say having your own vision and your own self-determination. Jesse has led that attitude for, I, I would say, an entire generation. And he's had to do so much of it alone because as a leader, there's nobody in front of him. And, and you know, in, in the arts, that, that is not an easy position to have. That's a very hard position to have. And I'm very fortunate to have been so close to, to be able to see that reality that, you, you know, it's not a story. It's a heavy weight to carry. And to be this influencer that at some level is not necessarily known for influences outside of the arts, but most definitely has shaped an entire vantage point from which to appreciate the Mexican-American. For Trevino, scale does not just mean building gigantic public artworks. It also means longevity and sowing the seeds for a brighter future. He spoke of creating cultural focal points and the legacy he wants to leave in his murals during his 2020 interview. Well, art is so powerful, and that's a good example. That, that mural can be seen just passing through San Antonio. You don't even have to stop if you just pass through it. You can't miss it. You know, I, I, the main court or R35, you pass through there, upper level, it's called the Spirit of Healing. Okay, and it's a hospital, a children's hospital now, one of the best children's hospitals in the, in the world. And that mural has been, been there, you know, uh, over 20 years, you know, 23 years, so 25 years. It's a mosaic and it's an outdoor mural. And it was built so that it would last 500 years, you know because I want people to remember me from 500 years when they see it, that, oh, Jesse Trevino did that. For show notes, works cited, and additional resources, visit aaa.si.edu slash articulated. This podcast is produced by Ben Gillespie and Michelle Herman from the Archives of American Art. It was edited by the team at Better Lemon Creative Audio. 
Our music comes from Sound and Smoke, composed by Viet Quang and performed by the Peabody Wind Ensemble with Harlan Parker conducting. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a rating or sharing it with a friend or family member. The Archives of American Art at the Smithsonian Institution is a nonprofit organization that relies on donations from individuals like you to sustain our ongoing operations and special programs like Articulated. To support our work, please visit our website, aaa.si.edu support. Thank you.